And um, most of you know, uh, we've been preaching about the kingdom here for a while. Um, I've been around the kingdom message now for about three years, three years last month. <clears throat> and that that message in and of itself absolutely changes everything I do, everything I think about the Bible, my entire life, my entire purpose, why I'm here, what I'm doing. We all have those questions. We all have those questions. Why am I here? We've all asked ourselves that at one point. What am I doing here? The most important question anyone can ask about anything in life is why. And a lot of us know what. Some of us know how. But when we get to why, that's where we struggle the most. Because why is only answered in one word, and that is purpose. Purpose is why. Purpose answers the question, why? Why did I buy this? Why do I do this? Why am I here? Why? Why, why? Why is the question that everyone wants to answer. And the only way to answer that question is purpose. Now the issue is we've been going to the wrong source for the purpose of things. See, the only one that knows the purpose of a thing is the creator of it. The only one that knows the purpose. The only one that knows the why of something. Go to any manufacturer here on the face of this planet. You can go to a shoe manufacturer, a car manufacturer, a refrigerator manufacturer, a home manufacturer. They will be able to tell you the why of something. And if I go to someone else to try to find out why, if I own a Toyota and I go to Mercedes to find out why my Toyota is doing this, I'm going to have a problem. Where do I need to go? The manufacturer. I need to go to the source. They're the only ones that can answer the why. My neighbor can't answer the why. A lot of times we find that even someone else that may own the same thing we have can't tell us why. Because we're having a problem they've never had. The only person that can answer the purpose of something and the, the why of something is the manufacturer, the creator of the thing. In fact, the definition of purpose... Um, if you're not taking notes this morning, I would highly recommend you take notes. If you have an iPhone or an iPad or any kind of iDevice, you know you can follow along with our messages. Our notes are in there. Um, I would highly, th this morning, I don't stress it as much in other services, but uh, I'm going to tell you where we're going to go. Uh, how many of you believe church should change you? How many of you believe that when you come, you should leave differently than the way that you came? How many believe that? Okay. Uh, I believe this morning, this is one of those messages that uh, I'm going to tell you right now. Let me go ahead and throw this statement out there. Everything you know about prayer, go ahead and get rid of it. So I'm going to tell you right now, I have a lot to say today that's going to confront a lot of what we think and what we know about prayer. It did for me. It changed my whole course in prayer. I've been praying for a long time. I, I, I was raised in church. Saved at a young age. Uh, you know, prayer is how I got into the kingdom. Prayer is how we all got into the kingdom. But we have made prayer more of an event thing instead of a lifestyle thing. We prayed when we got saved. We prayed when something goes wrong. We pray when we need something. We pray when we're excited about something. But all the spaces in between, we're missing the life of prayer. Paul said, pray without ceasing. And we're going to take a look at this. This is over a course of weeks. I'm going to tell you, if, if you uh, do everything you can to be here for the remainder of these series. And, and I don't know how long this is going to go. The Lord laid this on my heart. We just started uh, Independence last week. And my goal uh, 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 about a month ago was to preach that the entire month of July because there was so much in there. I mean, we did it on Sunday and Wednesday. And if you weren't able to, to be here uh, we're going to get those services online. They're not online at this time. But you want to go and get those because learning to be dependent on someone, that's a struggle for us. In our nation of uh, Americanized thinking, being independent, 
be your own purpose. If you're dependent on someone else or have to depend on someone else, you're considered weak. Uh, we've got to change that mentality because in a kingdom, you can't be your own person. You can't be independent. In fact, the word independence is the most dangerous word in a kingdom. Rebellion is the second most dangerous word. If you are in a kingdom, and again, we don't fully understand kingdom thinking. We don't live in that. We haven't seen a kingdom properly demonstrated. But Jesus came preaching a kingdom. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He said in Luke 17, 21, Behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst or is near you. That's all he talked about. That's all Jesus talked about was a kingdom. And we're surrounded by a, a government and a democracy and a republic. And I told you a million times, I love this nation. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. I know people who have served this nation faithfully in, in military and in and, and, and purpose and what they do. And I would do that. I, I don't want to be anywhere else. I'll be honest with you. As far as today's standpoint in a, with man in a fallen nature, this is the best place to be. But the kingdom of God is what God tried to bring. And when a king makes a law or a decree, there's no voting. There's no opinions. There's no, here's what I think about it. It's what the king says, and you do it. And you can do that because you know the king has your best interests at heart. Every decision the king makes is for your betterment in life. For you to have the best life. He knows it's like your parents telling you to don't go in the street because you might get hit by a car. Are they trying to limit you? Are they trying to put boundaries around your life so you don't have fun and can't, you know, play? in the, there's, there's so much fun stuff in the street. But no, they are safeguarding your life. They're putting up limitations and boundaries saying if you go play out there, somebody's going to come by and smack you on the road. But if you play in the yard where I have created for you to be and has everything you need right here, then you're safe. And there's always that compulsion in us. I've told you, you know, my son, he's 17 months old and he's already got that compulsion to do what you are not supposed to do. That's already in us. That's within man because of what Adam and Eve did in the garden. And we've asked the question many times, if Adam and Eve never ate the fruit of the tree, where would they be today? On the earth. In the garden. Being fruitful and multiplying. Tending and cultivating. Guarding and keeping. Protecting the garden. That was the mandate in Genesis chapter 1, 26, Genesis chapter 2, and then we get three chapters into this thing and it all blows up. Okay, so we've had this kingdom mindset, and I, I, I could spend I could spend weeks just reiterating that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, purpose. The definition of purpose is original intent. Original intent. Guns were created with an original intent. But, when we use them for a different purpose, something different than the original intent, abuse sets in. When you don't fully understand the purpose of something or for something, abuse is inevitable. You don't understand the purpose of a marriage, marriage abuse is inevitable. When you don't understand the purpose for children, child abuse is inevitable. When you don't understand the purpose for a drug, drug abuse is inevitable. When we don't fully understand the purpose or we don't follow according to what it was originally created for, abuse always takes place. We always misuse, misplace, and, and, and disregard what it was originally for. If I take a bottle of Advil and it, I have a headache and it says, take two capsules by mouth. Do not exceed more than six within a 24-hour period. Or eight or whatever it is. If we go beyond that, 
Now we're abusing the system. If we don't understand the purpose of the church, abuse is inevitable. If we don't understand the role of our friends, abuse is inevitable. If we don't understand the role of our mothers and our fathers, if we don't understand the role of our spouses, if we don't understand the role of the pastor, we abuse the thing that we don't fully understand the purpose of. So we need to know what was it originally created for? Why was it designed? Why do we have it? Why do we use it? How do we use it? What do we use it for? All the other questions will fall in line when we can answer the why. This why question. Now, prayer. You know, Christians aren't the only ones that pray. In fact, there are other religions that are more religious about praying than we are. They have a specific time of day. They have a certain way they face. They have a set prayer. They pray every time. They know who they're praying to. This is coded. It's religiosity. It's, it's by the book. This is how you do it. Line upon line. Precept upon precept. This is how we pray. There are other uh, uh, nations and, and other cultures that pray more than our culture. The Samaritan culture. So prayer is not a new thing. It's not just for Christians. It's not just for believers. The, the, the essence of prayer. We're going to break down what prayer is and you'll see the difference. But praying. There's all kinds of people that pray. Every believer knows they should pray. How do you know that? Because that's how they got in. They prayed a prayer of salvation. Uh, I was reading a book and there was this guy. He had just gotten saved at church, and they had a they had a Monday night prayer meeting. And um, so, you know, he showed up, and there was like a tenth of the people at the prayer meeting from church. And he was like, "Where's everybody at?" And he asked someone, "Where's everybody at?" Oh, this is this is just a prayer meeting, and there wasn't a lot of importance and validity placed upon it. And so the guy said, well, you know, I just figured it was pretty important because it's what got me in. So I figured I needed to do it and keep doing it. I heard another minister say that he judges the size of someone's church, not based on their church service, not based on their fellowships and potluck dinners, but on the size of their prayer meetings. We get all kinds of people out for those kind of things. We get all kinds of people out for praise and worship services. People love that. Great music, entertainment, light shows, the whole bit. In church, you know, people come. They have their reasons why they come to church. But then the prayer, that, that seems to be the smallest meeting of any church, is the prayer meeting. I remember when... Uh, I moved to St. Augustine in 2004. I, I was fresh out of college, fresh out of Bible school. And, um, you know, I, I thought I had it going on. I thought, you know, you know, I got this spiritual thing down. And I prayed every now and then, read my Bible every now and then. And obviously, you know, I've got a piece of paper saying I just graduated from Bible school, so I'm up there. And I come out to St. Augustine, Florida. And I get hooked up with Pastor Earl. I'll never forget my first weekend there. I moved there July 4th weekend. Um, the following, the first Saturday that I was there, he's waking me up at 7 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday to walk on the beach and pray. And I'm thinking, you kidding me? <laughs> Saturday? I mean, at least, you know, let, let's do this on a day where I'm already getting up early. You want me to get up on a Saturday? We didn't have a building, so there was nowhere to go pray. And you meet in people's houses, and there's, you know, familiarity there. But when you get out, and man, walking on the beach was just awesome at that time of morning and doing something like that. I mean, you're surrounded by God's creation. You're surrounded by the city that you're here to influence. I mean, things are just getting done. But I remember he told me, he looked at me, and he said, this will be the most important thing we ever do, is pray. 
All the events, all the meetings, all the conferences, all the ministries, all the outreaches we do. If we don't do this, then why are we doing it? Because prayer, we all have our definitions. It's communication with God. It's relationship with God. Communing with God. Talking to God. But today, I really want to take a look at this purpose. Because when we don't understand the purpose, abuse is inevitable. And... We've abused the system of prayer. We don't really know what we're doing. Uh, why, why don't we pray as much? I think one of the greatest answers to that question is results. We're a people that if we fail at something or if something doesn't work, we don't keep doing it. That's just within our nature. If we try something and it doesn't work, we move on to something else and we try it a different way. Um. Fear of unanswered prayers. Uh, Some other reasons. We don't feel we're qualified to pray or talk to God. What gives us the right to talk to God? Uh, Ignorance. We just simply don't know how. We don't know how to pray. Uh, We don't understand what we are doing when we pray. We don't know what to pray for or what not to pray for. Are there things that I'm not supposed to pray for? Are there things that I'm supposed to pray for? How long do I keep praying? And so all these things deter us from operating in prayer. But I believe if we just learn the purpose of it, that we'll get all that figured out. If God is sovereign, let me ask you some questions. If God is sovereign, why pray? If God is in control, He's up there making the choices and making decisions and doing everything then why do we need to pray? If what I say has no effect on God, if what I do doesn't influence Him in any way as God the creator of the universe, then why do I need to pray? These are questions we need to ask. So we need to be purposeful. I want you to look at Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5. And I'm really just going to look at the beginning of these next few verses. I'm not going to get into everything else he's saying. But I just want to start out. And the first of it says, and second word, and when. Not if. When. Let's go to the next verse, verse 6. Verse 6, but you, when you pray. Verse 7, is it there? And when you pray. When. This isn't an if. The first thing we need to understand about prayer for the believer It is not an option. This is a necessity. I'm going to tell you right now that this this message and the next series of messages, there's a lot of responsibility that's going to come with it. I understand that. When I came into this knowledge, uh, knowledge always brings responsibility. When you gain knowledge of something, now you're responsible to to live by it and walk by it. And uh, you're going to feel some weight. I'm going to be honest with you. the, The things that we confront at first, it might seem hard. It might seem pretty rough, but we're going to make some statements today that are truth. And it's only going to come from the Word. I only only speak what this says. I don't go by other men. I'm not up here telling you what another pastor told me. I'm telling you what the Bible says. And we're going to outline it. That's why we use so much Scripture. You know, pastors today, they're, they're using less Scripture. If we can just use two or three verses. You know, we don't want to bog them down. There's a time where we just get down in one verse, but even in that, we're breaking it apart. I mean, if I'm only using one or two verses, it's because we're breaking it down. We're looking at words. But when we're doing something like this and laying a foundation, the foundation is the word. That is the only sure rock. That's that's the only sure foundation 
All other is sinking sand. We're going to go on the word. And so we're going to build the foundation on that. And we're going to lay a foundation today that I believe will have you wanting to come in the next few services. The next several services that we do this. I believe it's going to be so fired up within you that you are going, it's going to change prayer for you completely. Your outlook on it. And yes, there's going to be some responsibility there, but it's going to be exciting. When you find out what prayer really does for the Christian and for a believer, it is the most powerful thing the church has. And we're going to see why. Go down to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. And we're going to look at the first verse. Now it came to pass as he was praying, this is Jesus, in a certain place, when he ceased, when he stopped praying, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Now watch this. This is the only time in the Gospels where you will find his disciples, Jesus' disciples, asking him to teach them anything. He's doing miracles. He's raising people from the dead. He's casting out demons. He's walking on water. He's calming storms. He's killing fig trees. And the one thing they're asking him to teach them is to pray. Now, if that doesn't show you some priority, Jesus had a priority on prayer. We talk a lot about the miracles. We talk about the signs and wonders. But many times before he got started, You'll find throughout the word, it says he rose up early in the morning to a solitary place. He never even prayed around his disciples, but they could see him and they knew what he was doing. He went up on a mountain or he went over into this garden or he's on the Mount of Olives. Praying. Jesus's priority, this may shock you, but Jesus's priority was not ministry to people. It was communication with his father. That was his priority. And here's what his disciples saw. That he's getting up early in the morning, spending hours. Sometimes it said he would stay up all night praying. But then when he'd get down off the mountain, how long did it take him to heal somebody? Split second. He's not wrestling. In fact, you'll never find in the Bible where Jesus prayed for a sick person. Prayed over them. He'd just lay his hands on them. Sometimes he wouldn't even do that. He'd just tell them, what is it you want me to do for you? Well, I'm blind. Jesus could see that they're blind. And he's still asking, what do you want me to do for you? What did that do? That gave him authorization to then do what was needed. And he's saying, okay. Be healed. Now he all had all kinds of different ways. There were times where he spit on the ground and rubbed mud in a guy's eyes. There were times he would lay hands on people. There was a time a lady just came up behind him and just pulled on the bottom of his cloak and she was healed. It happened all kinds of different ways. But you never see Jesus wrestling over trying to heal somebody. Calling out demons and you know rebuking sickness. You won't find it. You know why? Because he knew if I spend more time with my father, I'll spend less time with the problems. <laughs> I'll tell you right now, if we would make more time to talk to God about our problems, we'd spend less time dealing with our problems. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's healing. I don't care if it's financial uh, provision. I don't care if it's, uh, you know... Uh, you, you need work in your marriage, work in your home. I, I don't care if you need a new job. If we would find ourselves going to God and spending time in communication and developing that relationship with Him about it, we'd spend less time dealing with the problems. And Jesus is a perfect example. The disciples and the apostles are a perfect example. Because what were they doing? They were always gathering together, praying in one accord, in one place, in one group, in one house. And then when they got out on the streets and it came time to do something, no problem. Guy falls out of the window while Paul's preaching. He goes down and raises him from the dead. P 
Peter and John just got done uh, with the with the day of Pentecost and that whole shebang. Gathering together, praying. Jesus didn't tell them to go pray. He told them to go wait for the Holy Spirit. Well, they knew, you know what? If we're going to receive something from God, we're going to need to give something to God. And so they went up and they spent them spent time praying in one accord. Then you go over to the next chapter. You got Peter and John walking down. Got a mate, got a lame man at a gate called Beautiful. They didn't lay hands on him. They didn't pray over him. They weren't rebuking sickness. They just said, "Well, man, if you believe, rise up and walk." And he rose up and walked, and he was leaping and praising God and went into the temple praising God with them. Why aren't we seeing these things happen today? And I believe that it's very much due to our prayer life and how much time we're even spending with God. I'll tell you right now, we are in a generation today that wants to take everything but give nothing. The word commitment is so far from this generation. And I'm part of that generation. Now we want everything someone's got to give, but we don't want to give anything in return. We want everything that God has, but we don't want to give Him something in return. And these people knew how important it was to develop and cultivate that relationship with their father. And it was in prayer. Prayer is where the power lies. Now, we're going to lay a foundation. So far we've said that if we don't understand the purpose of something, that abuse is inevitable. And then we also showed you that prayer is not an option for the believer. It was a but when, not an if. This is a necessity. This is supposed to be a part of our daily life. You know, the the prayer life, and, and I'll be honest with you, this is... I'm first one to raise my hand. The prayer life is probably the number one area that we struggle most, most in our spiritual life. We're pretty good about reading the Bible. Once we get that up and going and things become interesting, you know, we can, we can get up and read it and love it. Going to church, doing good things and, and, and being an influence in our jobs. But when it comes to our prayer life, when it comes to talking to someone... You cannot see visibly in the natural. And requesting things, asking for things, praising and worshiping in prayer. That's where we, uh, I I believe as Christians and part of the Christian life, I think that's where the most struggle is. Is in a prayer life. And you know on the inside, I don't need you to raise your hands and say, who's struggling in the prayer? You know on, I, I could do more. In fact, God, God has hit this home with me so much that my prayer life is changing tomorrow. It already changed today, but tomorrow on a Monday, a day where I'm used to just getting up and going in the office at a certain time, that changes. Because the, the value and, and the priority that prayer should have in our lives, uh, I, it's not there in my life. I know that. And I'll tell you, it's not about time. It's about developing that relationship and, and finding yourself communicating. You've heard me say before that, you know, some people that who just spend hours in prayer, that what are they really doing? And even Jesus said, be careful in prayer because it can become showy. It can become an outward thing, just an action thing. You're just doing it to show people. You're just doing it to get it out of the way. That's what the Pharisees and the Sadducees were doing. And Jesus sees the heart. God sees the heart. I mean, I'd love to get to a point where we just talk to God throughout the day. Driving in your car, you're talking to God. On the job, talking to God. At home with the kids, talking to God. Just having conversations between you and Him. You've heard me say before, if we can learn to talk to God at any time, we can learn to hear from God at any time. See, finally designate my prayer closet and my prayer time in the evenings to God, then I have this mindset, it's the only time He can talk to me. But yet, if I stay in constant communication with Him, then He can talk to me just as much as I can talk to Him. And I think we'd be 
doing a better job of hearing from God if we did a better job of talking to God. Communication is a two-way street. So we're going to lay this foundation, Genesis chapter 1. This has become one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. And it seems like almost every series we end up here, but we have to begin here. Because this is the beginning. If you ever want to learn the purpose of something, go to the beginning. Go to the source. Go to where the thing began. If you are going to understand prayer, the purpose of prayer, you're going to need to understand your purpose in the earth. Now again, this may confront what you've known, this may confront what you've heard before, but I have an obligation to say it and preach it anyways. And we're going to. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. So we just saw in verse 26, he said, let us make man in our image. And then he goes and he creates man in his image. He did what he said. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that creeps, that moves on the earth. Now, go back to verse 26. God said, Let us make man in our image. According to our likeness. The next two words are very important. Do not miss this. Let them. Now notice he didn't say let us. I wish he would have said let us. (laughs) I wish he would have said, alright, now you're on the earth. Here's what you're supposed to do. And I'm doing it with you. That's not what he said. He said let Them. Now here's the thing about what God says. God is sovereign. Yes. God is in control. Yes. But he's in control of one thing. His word. God is a king. When a king says something, it becomes law. Even the king is bound to the law. I'm going to make a statement that may shock you, but God is limited. God is limited to his word. See, God is faithful. He said in Isaiah that I will send my word and it will not return void, but it will accomplish that which I send it to do. Psalm chapter 138 verse 2. Psalm 138 verse 2. I will worship you. I will worship towards your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word. Above your name. In the Hebrew, that word name also means to be or being. He's actually saying, I am magnifying my word above who I am. Which means not even I can violate my word. Well, if he could violate his word, he'd be no better than any of us. One of the greatest challenges that we have in our day and age is just simply taking someone's word for what it is. I will be there at 10 o'clock to help you move that. Don't worry, I'll be there next week. I'll bring that, I'll bring that to you. Oh man, you know what? I just, it totally slipped my mind. But that's not God. 
when he says something, he is faithful to his word. His promises endure forever. So, here's what we have. We have a God who when he says something, it is that way and it can never change and it can never be violated, not even by himself. So in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, he says, let them have dominion. So who has dominion on the earth in this picture at this time? God or man? Man. Let them have dominion. Now what is man? Here's what man is. Man is three parts. Man is a spirit being. Man possesses a soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions. And you are housed in a flesh suit. That is what we see on a daily basis. Right now, I am looking at your flesh suit. I am not looking at your spirit man. But you are a spirit. Now, here's the thing. You have to have the spirit and the flesh to be in the earth. So when he said, let them have dominion, he is setting a precedent here. He is saying, from now on, from the time I make this statement, the only ones that have legal access and authority in the earth is a spirit being housed in a flesh suit. What happens if your flesh suit quits living? Where does your spirit go? Does it stay in the earth? You just hanging out and saying, well, you know, I'll just hang out here a little bit longer. I like it. No. Your spirit is going to one of two places. Your spirit is exiting the earth. Your spirit can't come outside of your body and go on down to Starbucks and get you a hot cup, hot cup of coffee right now. While I'm hungry, I'll just leave my flesh here and make Pastor Mark think that I'm still in church, but I'm going to go on down to Bojangles and get me a sandwich real quick. Not happening. Because your spirit has no access in the earth without flesh. Well, what is God? God is a spirit, John chapter 4 says, and he must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. So, are, we, are you following me? I'm only reading the Bible. I'm only reading what it says. Let them have dominion. Well, yeah, but Adam and Eve, they sinned. And, and, and they, they gave all that up and they lost all that. So God had to step in. No. God cannot violate his word no matter what you do. Why didn't Satan... Just come up to Eve and just make himself known. What do you have to do? Get inside of a flesh. So, I'm going to make sure I'm not skipping anything because I know what I want to say. Here we go. God is not doing anything in the earth, never has, isn't doing it today, and never will do anything in the earth without using a man. When he wanted to free his people from slavery, Moses... When he wanted to lead his people into the promised land, Joshua. When he wanted to take out a giant named Goliath, David. Now here's one for you. When he wanted to save all of mankind, Jesus. 
See, God was bound by his word in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Well, I want to redeem mankind. I'm the only one that can do it. How am I going to save them? How am I going to get them back in my kingdom? How am I going to restore to them what Adam and Eve gave away? Well, let's see. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, I made a statement that, you know, I'm bound to. There's nothing I can do about it. It's got to be a flesh person. But the problem is, is that the flesh on the earth, you know, they're already in sin. They can't save themselves. I'm the only one that can do it. So I guess I'm just going to have to take myself and put myself inside of flesh. That's why Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. So here we go. You ready? God cannot operate in the earth without the cooperation of man. So you're telling me that God needs me? Like he needs me? Like he can't do anything without me? Yep. Show me something he's doing and he's not using mankind. Whose job is it to spread the gospel? Man, the church. Now take a look at this in Matthew chapter 16. Our responsibilities, unlike what a gentleman I spoke with this past week believes, our responsibilities go beyond just showing the love of God to people and talking about it. I had a very nice conversation with a guy that wanted to drop by my house this past week. And he wanted to tell me that I can't heal anybody. I can't cast out demons. My job is to live here, be nice to people, love God, obey his word, and talk to people about Jesus. That's all I can do. All talk, no show. I asked the man, I said, so what do I do when I have a lady come to me at Walmart and says, Pastor Mark, just got back from the doctor, and uh, they told me I have a month to live. I've got cancer. What do I do? He said, well, you can, you can read her some comforting scriptures. You know, you can, you can pray with her that God will comfort her and, and, you know, keep her with peace. You know, and then we have doctors. I said, I'm sorry, that, 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 there's way too much of the Bible I have to throw out to believe that statement right there. What about when he sent out his disciples and said, go into all the world, make disciples, lay hands on the sick. And they will recover. What about the twelve disciples? Because my Bible tells me that they did every single thing that Jesus did. Everything. He raised dead people. Laid hands on sick people. This is why we're here, folks. This is why we're here. We're not here just to look good and say good things and do nice things. He said, I mean, he told me, he said, you know, we're supposed to just follow Jesus. I'm trying to follow Jesus. He laid hands on the sick. I'm laying hands on the sick. He's casting out demons. I'm casting out demons. No, no, no. You're not anointed by God to do that. So, that's why we're preaching this. And I understand this doesn't fill up stadiums. This doesn't get people excited. But it's the gospel. And Paul said in Acts chapter 21, 20, he said, I don't refrain any of the gospel from you. I don't hold anything back. I preach it all. A minister told me one time, he said, what you, refuse, what you refuse to preach in your pulpit is where you can see, 
where you, where you will see your people suffer. If I refuse to preach on finances, then you're ignorant on finances and what the Word of God says about finances. If I refuse to preach on your home and how it should be a godly home, then you will be ignorant on that and the enemy will attack you in your home. He's going to attack you where you're weak. Anybody knows that. Let's find their weak point. Not the strongest point. And so you may be strong in healing. I got no problem you know, getting sickness off my body. I know by his stripes I'm healed. But now in, in financial provision, well, you know, I don't know a whole lot there. No, we need to be built up in every area. So look what Matthew chapter 16 says. Jesus is introducing the church. Verse 18, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Who's building it? Jesus. That means he's the manufacturer. That means if we want to find out the purpose of the church, we need to go to the manufacturer. Go to the source. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Verse 19. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Give you the keys. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. There is so much stuff here. First of all, bind and loose. Those are the words reject and accept. Whatever you reject on earth will be rejected in heaven. Whatever you allow or accept on earth will be loosed or allowed or accepted in heaven. So who's following who here? It's very clear. God and heaven are following what we do. I like to look at this verse as Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 all over again. Let them. What did Jesus do? He went right back and put the responsibility back on man. The first time he introduces the church and the first thing he does, it says, oh, by the way, you're going to be the entity that is binding and loosing. And then heaven will do whatever you do. Heaven will back up whatever you do. I'm going to make this statement. Nothing in the earth should take place without man's permission. Nothing should take place. Sickness should not be in my body only if I allow it. Financial uh, lack won't be in my life, but only if I allow it. I have a say-so. I have the authority on the earth. Now, am I saying we can just go and run around and do whatever we want? No, of course not. You have to be submitted to the king in heaven. But God is in heaven. Jesus is in heaven. And they put all responsibility, all authority back on man on the earth. Whatever you bind, whatever you loose, whatever you reject, whatever you allow. Now, we'll take it one step further. That includes God. Let's go back. God is limited to His Word. His Word is, let them have authority. Let them have dominion. On the earth. See, this is why Jesus... Calm storms. This is why Jesus caused a fig tree to wither and die. This is why Jesus cast out demons. This is why Jesus healed sick people. This is why Jesus raised dead people. 
Because he was in the earth, not just because he was God. Because he was in a legal form on the earth. The only way you can be legal in the earth, the only way you can be authorized to do anything in the earth, is you are a spirit being that possesses flesh. That's it. That's it. So the authorizing, the allowing, the permission falls to man. That includes God. He's bound by His Word. The all-sovereign, and I'll tell you right now, I'm not lowering God to our standard. I'm raising us to His. Understand that. I'm not making God just another person that we just hobo around. When we find out what prayer is really all about, we'll find out the, the dignity, we'll find out the divine nature, We'll see all that. But Paul has a lot more. See, here's the danger that we fall into as believers and as Christians. Is we are still moved by everything we see. There are still too many messages out there about how much of a sinner I am. There's still way too many messages out there about how I have failed in life. There are way too many messages out there about my imperfections and my failures and what I'm not. And I understand that our flesh is limited. Yes, I understand that. But right now, I'm not talking to flesh. I'm talking to your spirit, man, on the inside that's been made perfect, that's been made whole, that's been made righteous, that is already in a position of righteousness. It's not something I'm trying to obtain to. It's not something I'm trying to access. It's not something I'm trying to live by. It's who I already am on the inside. Now my goal and my charge in life is to get what's on the inside on the outside. But when I'm preaching to you and when I'm giving the word of God, I'm not talking to who you are in the flesh. I know we're not perfect. I know we don't do it all right every time. I know that we don't get it all right every day. That's on the outside. But what kind of encouragement is that to you, to the spirit man on the inside to change? See, the only person that can change you is you. Every time you come here and hear the word, every time you open your Bible and hear the word, every time you watch your favorite preacher on the TV or listen to him on the radio or get him on the internet, here's what you're doing. You're trying to get your mind to catch up with who you already are on the inside. You're already there. So let's leave the imperfections where they are. Let's leave the failures where they are. Let's change all that. Because that's why Paul said, I beat my body into submission. I subject my body. Who's I? His spirit. He's not talking literally. I wake up every morning and bash myself in the face and try to hurt myself to remind myself that. No, it's his spirit man saying, I, spirit man, beat my body, flesh, into submission. I make sure that it stays under every day. He said daily. I mean, yeah, you know what? Yesterday I may have got it right, but today I've got to start all over. And i got to make sure. That means at any moment your flesh can come back up. Man, I don't care. You've been, you've been saved for 30 years. You can have one flesh moment. Well, they talked about me, so I'm going to talk about them. They cussed me out, so I'm going to cuss them out. I don't care if you've been saved one day or 35 days or 40 years. At any moment, we can get back and let this flesh start dominating and controlling. I'm not talking to flesh today. I'm talking to your spirit. And I'm telling you that God has given you authority, authorization, and access in the earth to operate on behalf of heaven. Which means whatever you bind, whatever you loose, you're the one that has the authority. You're the one that's allowing. You're the one that's giving permission. Even to God. I know that sounds weird. You're telling me that God needs my permission to act in the earth. Yes. 
See, you've heard me explain it many times. If I take my vehicle and I let Jimmy use it, who's the owner of the vehicle? Who's the controller of the vehicle? Jimmy. It's in his hands. Now, as the owner, do I have the right to come in and take it back whenever I want? Sure. But guess what? God once again opened his mouth and he already said that he's not taking it back till his son comes back. So guess what? He's got to be faithful to that word. Which means that Jimmy, that'd be like me coming and saying, Jimmy, you're going to borrow this truck. I'm not going to come get it till Saturday. You got it all week long. I'll come get it next Saturday. Now, if I come back on Thursday and say, Jimmy, I need my truck. I'm violating my word. He's already made plans to use it for Thursday and Friday. And Revelations already says when Jesus is coming back and when this thing is going to fall back to him. Until then. So, God needs our permission to operate in the earth. He ain't bringing healing to you until you give him permission. So you ready? Here's what prayer is. Prayer is man exercising his legal authority on the earth to invoke heaven's influence. Prayer is simply giving God permission to work on your behalf. See, when I'm sick, I pray in the name of Jesus. And that gives God the authority to come and bring heaven's influence on my behalf and bring heaven to earth. Is there sickness in heaven? Nope. When I have a financial need and I pray to God, I'm giving God permission and legal access to come and intervene, if you will, in my situation and bring financial provision to my life. Anybody here come into the kingdom? Anyone here got saved because someone else's prayers? You know someone else was praying for me for years to get saved. Anybody? You know that happens. My mom, she was praying for me for 35 years and I tried to fight it, but you know what? I decided to... You didn't just decide. Somebody was invoking heaven's influence on your behalf. And someone was sent to you and said, Hey, let me tell you about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you want to pray that prayer with me? Prayer. So now we look at prayer a little differently. I have authority in the earth. But I need heaven to back me up. I need to get heaven into the earth. And this whole time we've been waiting on earth just to get to heaven. Second Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14. Second Chronicles 7 verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. But look what they had to do first. Pray. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 verse 9. This is Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. In this manner, therefore pray. Our Father in heaven, how would be your name? Look at this. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So be it. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. 
I mean, have we just, this is the prayer that, you know, a lot of churches, they do this ritualistically. Every Sunday. All right, let's join together in the Lord's Prayer. And we pray this prayer and we don't even know what we're saying. We're literally asking heaven to invade the earth. The way it is up there, let it be down here. There's no sickness there. No sickness in my body. No financial lack there. No lack in my body. No depression there. No depression in my life. No anger and hatred there. No anger and hatred here. I operate in the God kind of love. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know that phrase, that is as present as you make it. That's not future. That's not one day. That's now. I want your will in my life now. I want your will to be done. The way it's done up there, I want it to be done here. Now. One more, Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, verse 18. Surely I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst of them. He's saying, if you would get together and agree on earth where you're at, And just ask me. You know, he already said in Matthew chapter 6, I know what you need before you even ask. But what's he still waiting for? I need your permission to come and invade your life. I need your permission to come and bring that to your life. You need healing? I need your permission. You need prosperity? I need your permission. Somebody ask me. (laughs) This makes you want to go home right now and just get a prayer meeting together. Let's, let's just go ahead. Let's pray it all in. He's waiting on me. That's the power of prayer. That's the purpose of prayer. That's why we pray. Now I know I kind of got you to a point I'm going to leave you hanging for seven days because you got the purpose of prayer and we're going to find out how to work this thing. What qualifies me to pray? What gives me the ability and the power? Does he really hear me? How long do I need to pray? What's the most powerful prayer? What do I need to pray for? What do I not need to pray for? We're going to answer all these questions. But the first thing we have to get in line before we get the what and the how and the who is why. Why are we even doing this thing? Why aren't we seeing results? I believe that because we are going through this and we see things. See, here's what happens when people don't get their prayers answered. Uh, we doubt God and His Word. We discredit the very act of prayer. Well, that didn't work. We look for other options and alternatives. Give her some comforting scriptures. Tell her to go see a doctor. We question God's integrity. His character is put on the line. You know, that's what Joshua did. That's what Joshua did. They went out. They defeated this the, the, the most walled city there was, Jericho. Nothing, man. Walk around this thing a few times. Walls come down. And now we got a little hit town called Ai. About as big as its name. And he's like, man, we're not even going to send everyone out. Let's just send out these guys. I think it was like 3,000. Let's go send these guys out. Let's go whip them. Let's go. Let's come back. Be home by supper. And they lose. They lose the battle because there's sin in the camp. You know what Joshua did? He pitched a fit. Read it. He tore his clothes off and then he fell on the floor and he's just wallowing like a little baby. Got his face in the sand and God tells him, get up. There's sin in your camp and you need to go find it. But you know what Joshua did? He told, he told God. He said, hey, 
I just go ahead and put, you, put it out there, man. We're not the ones that look bad. You look bad. Your character's just gone through the mud. Because your people lost a little battle. Joshua was always doing that. This is on you. <laughs> if we win, you look victorious. If we lose, you look bad. Not me. That's what David did to Goliath. He didn't take it personal. He said, whoa, 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 whoa. You're talking against my God. You're talking about the one I serve. You're talking about the one I live for. So when we don't get these prayers answered, now God's the one. And he's saying, man, you just need to learn. That's why his disciples said, teach us to pray. That's the answer to everything you're doing. You're healing the, the demon-possessed. You're, you're casting out demons. You're healing sick people. You, you got all this power, all these miracles and signs. Show us how to pray. Because that's the answer. That's the foundation. Don't teach me how to do signs and wonders. Teach me how to get the power so I can do the signs and wonders. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that this doesn't just go into our ears, into our minds, but that we would allow ourselves to meditate on this. That we'll find ourselves this week, tomorrow, Tuesday, even the end of next week, pulling these notes back out, going online and listening to this message again, going online and getting the notes again, and, and, and getting this in our system. This is the power you have given us, is prayer. Yes, all those other religions can pray, but we are the only ones that have somebody on the other end hearing us when we pray. This is the confidence that we have. So, Father, I thank you that we, we take this to heart this morning, that we allow this to sink into our spirits, that we meditate on this, we study this. And, Father, I thank you that we will see our prayer lives go to the next level, go beyond what we ever thought it could get, whatever we're uh, beyond what we ever thought we could do in prayer. This is the most important, powerful entity you have given us in the earth. And we want to use it accordingly. We want to obtain all its power. And you will get the glory. You will get the honor. And you will get the praise. And we love you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.